Hi, I'm Bob Bashansky. Welcome to the latest edition of Politics, a Love Story. Today is the fifth Friday of the month. Uh, you know what that means. It's the Phil and Bob Show. Phil being Phil Worf, political science professor at Mendocino College. It is a significant day because, unlike the first and third Fridays, we try to explain what is happening now in the politosphere. We will try to explain the cause and effect, how what is going on now will show up in November 2022, maybe. We have a long list of possibilities of things to talk about. Among them are our congressperson, Jared Huffman, getting into an argument with an unmasked, unvaxxed Republican. The January 6th congressional hearings, the bipartisan infrastructure bill, the much, much bigger reconciliation bill, considering the seemingly tone-deaf cinema. How big is the big lie? What will it mean for the Republicans? I suggest that the Republicans are floundering. I think if they really believe their lies, they will lose the next election bigly. The new name for the group formerly known as the Republican Party, henceforth, could be known as, this is for the elected uh, members of the Republican Party, they could then be called the Liars and Thieves Party. They can't sway the voters, so they can cheat their way to a win. Enough of my rant. Let us hear from my co-host, Phil Worf. He is a political, uh, political science professor at Mendocino College, and I am very happy to introduce him today. Hi, Phil. Uh, hey, Bob. Thanks for having me on. Um, that's quite a list of topics we've got there this morning, um, but let's jump right into them. Why not? Um, the, um, how about let's start with the infrastructure bill. What do you say? Uh, so sure. I, I was uh, I was looking at the details on this um, a couple days ago. You know, it came out uh, the deal that um, the Democrats and Republicans had cut on the infrastructure package, with I guess Kirsten Cinema sort of taking the lead on that for the Democrats. And basically, what uh, what I've seen anyway is that they've they cut that was started out about two trillion dollars was a proposal from Biden, and it's been cut in half to about one trillion dollars. So. Um, and now basically what that means is I don't know, uh, because we don't know exactly what the uh, back and forth was on getting that down to $1 trillion and getting the Republicans on board, other than a change in that target. Uh, it, we don't know exactly what agreements were made there. All we do know is that it's going to proceed on a, you know, a procedural motion, and they're going to talk about it. Uh, and that's really it. So, um, you know, people are talking about this as being some kind of big breakthrough, but really we don't know what the breakthrough is, if any, uh, other than they're going to continue to talk about the bill. So um, so we'll see. I, I think, um, you know, Bob, what I, what I see here, I think, emerging is that if you look at the voter voting rights bill, H.R. 1, and then you look at um, this bill, it seems like you've got Manchin and Cinema who are sort of put out there uh, to take the lead on some of this, uh, mainly because they have to be happy in order for something to occur. And so, um, you know, this is going to uh, – so, so I think that you're going to have these two members who are uh, sort of outside the, in the you know, typical – uh, Democratic, um, you know, the progressive sort of um, area of the Democratic Party, and they're going to be driving the Democratic agenda, which I think is is pretty, or determining what that agenda is going to look like and what can be accomplished. And I think it's really unfortunate. But that's, again, what we're seeing here on the on the infrastructure package, I think. Yeah, usually you don't have the people on the edges dictating the terms of things. You have the people at the core or the bigger states that are doing that. But because this is the Senate, 
And the way it has been structured from the beginning of this uh, democratic republic, each state, regardless of size, gets two senators. So then they, the smaller states get undue influence over the rest of the Senate. Uh, we're seeing that now with these two. Well, I, so uh, West Virginia is sort of uh, a minor state. I guess in Arizona uh, it could be called somewhat that as well. But the point is, things have to get done. And if Cinema wants to get reelected, uh, as she's already found out, her biggest uh, money backer has told her she better get on the stick or else he's not going to support her anymore. So uh, that's where things go. People want to get reelected. They care less about moving the country in a good direction than they are about getting reelected. Well, I mean, I think that the, obviously the, one of the biggest concerns for a, a member of Congress, any elected official, is that um, they want to get reelected. Part of getting reelected is, uh, you know, a big part of it is getting that money. And so um, certainly they're going to listen when uh, their potential contributors talk about uh, money. Uh, is, is that going to – but I, I think that what they believe is that if they're going to jump in on the you – know, jump on the progressive train, that they're going to pay for that um, at election time – so it's sort of which one's going to be the, you know, the biggest impact or biggest potential negative impact. And uh, right now uh, they're they're making the, they being a cinema and mansion are making the calculation that uh, sort of trying to be perceived as a moderate is best for them to get reelected. And you can see that to some degree. But you know what's unfortunate to me is that you have a situation where when Republicans have the, the control of the you know, the federal government, they push their agenda and they get things accomplished. The Democrats now are going to be in a position of having basically the first two years of a presidency with control of both houses of Congress, which is when you're going to get most everything done, even in an eight-year term, right? And so they've hamstrung themselves doing that. And, and really, you know, this is sort of a microcosm of what's wrong with the system is that the Democrats, once they, once they get power, are unable to really cash that into things that they want and republicans seem to be you know much more uh, disciplined about doing that and so i think we're we're going to see that uh, again here and it's really unfortunate so uh let's talk for a moment about progressives uh, we just talked about the two moderates that are uh holding sway on things right now but uh I think that the progressives felt in 2018 when they got all those seats that they were going to be moving forward, and then they lost a number of those seats in 2020. Uh, it's, they should be thankful to Joe Biden for pushing part of their program, but I don't know that the progressives uh, are going to be on the rise again uh, in 2022. Well, I think that, um, you know, Democratic candidates in general are not going to be on the rise in 2022. I, I heard you say earlier that the Republicans might, uh, you know, pay for their uh, approach to the, you know, the Capitol uprising and their policies. They might uh, pay for that. But um, I don't uh, think that's uh, necessarily the case. And the reason for that is, that, as you know, Bob, that in those uh, midterm elections, particularly after a um, you know, a new president's elected, but even in, you know, generally speaking, I think in all but one of the midterm elections following a presidential election, the party in power, the president's party has lost seats, and I think you're not going to see any, you know, because of all the gerrymandering uh, that the Republican state legislatures have done, uh, because of that traditional sort of dynamic, 
uh, I think the idea that Democrats would be able to hold and maintain their uh, or increase their lead in the House is very, very questionable. Um, now, actually, the Senate map is more favorable for the Democrats than it was last time, so it's possible uh, to keep the Senate, but it's going to be a challenge there, too. So I don't know. I think the Republicans, they're, you know, as you were talking about with the Senate, there's these key advantages that Republicans have, not just in the Senate, but also as a result in the Electoral College, um, the drawing of congressional district boundaries, and all this stuff. And so, um, you know, these, these are things that are going to take some time to, you know, to sort of combat. And they, those, those big advantages um, give Republicans the ability to sort of, uh, you know, put the brakes on that at uh, every turn. I mean, uh, just, you know, it, <laughs> Bob, since 1988, the Republican candidate for president has won the Electoral College and the popular vote once since 1988. It was in 2004. And so we have a party here that's outside the mainstream, but yet because of these advantages it has systemically and the things that it's willing to do uh, that sort of go against pretend, you know, the sort of democratic um, process, um, they're going to, you know, I think they're, they're, they're still going to be able to win elections. They're still going to be able to control Congress. I think you're going to see that after 2022. Okay, Phil, here's the deal. Uh, You are a political scientist, so you look at things in the past and you predict the future from that. But these are not normal times. They haven't been since uh, that previous guy started running for president and was president for four years. But the difficulty is these are so unusual times that past can not possibly be prologue to the future. I don't think things are going to go along as people predict they have in the past. Uh, I, it's somewhat different now. Well, I, I think, um, you know, you might be right, and there, the, but I think if you, and if, if you look at the public opinion, I think that public opinion supports a lot of what the Democrats want to do, and Republican policies are not particularly popular, um, you know, in terms of the majority nationwide. But the fact remains that there are only a certain number of seats that are in play in the House. There are very few of them, in fact. Uh, maybe a couple dozen or a few dozen, and Republicans are you know draw those district boundaries of most of those, and so you know it's unless there's some really big groundswell of opposition or you know uh, pro democratic uh, swelling our movement in the different uh, states and districts, I think we're just going to see the same thing happen as as normal because uh, even the main thrust of the republicans you know reelection effort. It doesn't matter in these districts. I mean, you have a situation like Wisconsin where um, you have, you know, 40% of the state can vote Republican, and yet they could win, you know, three-quarters of the state's um, congressional districts. And so can can the Democrats, you know, beat that? I don't know. It is a different time period, Bob, but I think some of the old rules are trying to, you know, hard to get past. Well, here are two other factors we have to consider. Number one, because the census is so late uh, and the districts have been delayed being drawn, there are going to be innumerable lawsuits about the redistricting, especially in Republican states. That's number one. Number two, we have a new player out there, and that is Merrick Garland, the attorney general who has started threatening states that if they are going to be so anti-democratic, he's going to file suit against them. So what's going to happen in 2022 before the election? There are other factors that are just beginning to uh, come into play. So 
I can't predict. In fact, I have friends that want me to bet about what's going to happen next year. I say it's way too early for me to invest in anything like that at the moment because there are so many factors in play. Well, that, that's a good position, Bob, because it is, you know, it seems like we understand or think what's going to happen in 2022, but in fact, we really don't know, and things could completely change by, you know, 2022, and um, things will be, you know, turned on their heads. So I think that's a pretty smart uh, strategy, Bob. So don't get, don't get locked in until just a, you know, a month or two before the election, I think. So uh, there's, another, there's another factor here. And take the take this from the historical perspective. When a president is running for election and the economy is running really well, it's very rare that his party doesn't get more seats. And I think going into 2022, especially if these um, uh, two infrastructure bills get passed, uh, the the economy in some uh, instances. Uh, economists think it's going to be superheated, but in others, they think it's going to be just running along nice and smoothly, and a lot of more, a lot more people are going to be employed and making decent wages. Uh, and after uh, you respond to that, I want to talk about wages for a second as well. Right. I mean, I think that um, you very well could see an economy that's humming along uh, quite nicely uh, when, you know, in 2022, it looks like things are picking up. Uh, although, um, or certain, certainly picking up, but um, I think there were some GDP uh, numbers released yesterday that were a pretty big disappointment uh, relative to what's been predicted. So how much is that, you know, we don't know exactly how much of that's related to, you know, the unemployment, um, you know, compensation, uh, to the dif- difficulty of hiring people, uh, and to, you know, getting uh, supplies and so forth. Um, so, you know, there, there are some challenges getting, um, getting rolling again, but I think the kind of spending you're seeing is really uh, beneficial, and I think that, um, you know, maybe we'll see a situation where, um, you know, wages get uh, better uh, in order to get people back into, uh, you know, in, into the workplace. Um, or maybe it just means that all those uh, stimulus needs to expire first, I guess, depending on your perspective. Um, so um, are we going to get better, better jobs um, or better pay as a result? You tell me, Bob. Okay, I'm about to. Okay. Uh, first of all, uh, the, uh, the neither bill, neither uh, infrastructure bill has passed, so we can't say that that's going to influence anything yet. Once they're passed, it'll still take a bit to get geared up and to actually uh, start giving out contracts for improving the infrastructure and getting that money out into the public and hiring people. So that's not going to be a quick fix. It's not going to be one day they pass it, the next day everything's better. On the, on the idea of wages, uh, almost every... Um, Southern Republican state uh, that uh, had the opportunity stopped the extra unemployment payments to their uh, constituents. That did not change employment in those states, which leads me to believe that they weren't dependent on that extra $300 a week to stay home and not work. They were thinking that, gee, uh, the minimum, the federal minimum wage is still down around 792, has been there for 20 years, and yet you look at states like California and Washington, and as of January of 2022, California is going to be up at $15 an hour minimum wage, and in uh, Washington, it's been that way, at least in Seattle, and yet 
businesses hasn't, haven't closed, uh, and they're still having trouble at, in California at 14 or $15 an hour to employ people. And you take a look at In-N-Out Burger, especially the one in Ukiah that I get to see the most, they're up closer to $20 an hour to get people to come to work there. So that extra $300 a week, I don't think is doing much to keep people away because, as I said, the southern states have taken that away and they haven't increased employment. Right. I mean, I think um, well, you make a good point there. I think that we do need to see some increase in compensation. Um, and it is sort of scandalous that the federal minimum wage has not increased uh, in, it's been since, what, 2009 or something like that. Um, but yeah, some states are increasing it, which is good. Um, it, but California, you really have to, you know, go higher, obviously, than the than the national um, national rate in order because of the cost of living and so forth. But uh, maybe there'll be enough pressure on these uh, on the federal government. Maybe there'll be enough pressure on these states to um, increase the minimum wage or to try to get some uh, influence on on um, you know people getting better jobs. One of the things that companies are doing, they're saying, we're going to give you a hiring bonus or something like that uh, instead of actually giving you a better pay rate, which, you know, may convince some people to get back in the, you know, the workforce. But I think um, ultimately this is sort of people, people have come to a recognition that, you know, um, our, we're, um, you know, the, our level of compensation is not adequate uh, to get us back into uh, those jobs, and uh, they need need to see more. And you know, maybe maybe we'll see some of that. Do you think we'll see it at the federal level? I don't know. With the current Republican Party, the idea of having an increase to the federal minimum wage seems like it's just not going to happen. And so, you know, how will that be facilitated on uh, those Republican states? Is there any change to the state level uh, minimum wage? I don't see that happening either. So it's unclear how this will pan out for, for workers. I think it's the people, uh, uh, Phil. I think it's uh, the people are, in one sense, rebelling to a degree. Uh, if they're not going to work to Okay, so let's take a look. So seven ninety two, eight dollars an hour. Work forty hours, you make three hundred and twenty dollars a week. That's twelve hundred and eighty dollars a month. Mm -hmm. Almost anywhere in the country, that's not enough to even pay rent, no less to buy food and clothing and other things and take care of kids. So uh, something's going to have to change. And if people are deciding they would rather not work than work. Uh, as if they were slaves, then I think that's going to have to change things, especially uh, after World War II. CEOs were making about 49 times the average employee's wage. Today, it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 700 and change times the average worker's wage. Uh, are they that much better? Are they uh, 700 times better than their average worker, the CEOs? Are they worth that much money? Uh, I think another thing that's starting to change, now there are more resolutions in uh, corporate boardrooms uh, or when there is a stockholders meeting that they want to have say into what the CEO is making. That's a big change. It, it's just the beginning. But I hope it portends something better for us all going down the road. 
Well, I, th- I think also, Bob, you'll see that uh, one of Biden's uh, pushes is to, you know, raise some more tax revenue from people who, who have lots of it, billionaires, for example. Um, not just, um, you know, tax revenue in general, but also the taxes that they haven't been paying, um, that they should have been paying um, all along in terms of using, you know, fancy tax maneuvers and so forth. So I think billionaires are in the crosshairs. Um, a little bit here, and they sh- they should be because they've gotten the vast majority of the benefit from e- the economy in the past thirty years, and uh, so maybe that um, you know looking at that is uh, a little closer is is a good thing. Uh, but the you know the the gap as you said between CEOs and workers is is just phenomenal. It's unbelievable, and uh, I mean if you take an example like uh, PG&E where you have these guys who are running PG&E. And it's just one mistake after another, and you know the wildfires and so forth. And yet, what what happens to them? Well, they get bailed out by us, the taxpayers, right? And then they get to go and ask Sacramento, "Hey, can we have our multi-million-dollar bonuses now?" And so it's really, um, you know, this this kind of system can't last forever. And I think maybe you're seeing some of that now that the public's just not going to put up with it much more. Now, is the Republican Party in Congress going to allow? Um, you know, any big changes here, I just don't see it. So we're going to need more of this kind of activism to to make it happen. Um, And, you know, we're going to need to see more legislation that that sort of um, shifts the benefits of the economy more toward uh, working people than toward people in the boardroom. And, um, you know, that's difficult to do, but maybe one of of the things is it does need to start um, at the stockholder level um, this is not only happening with regard to wages, but also with regard to um, the effect, the impact of economic activity on the environment and other things, too. So it's a, it's a, a welcome change that we're seeing there. What I'd like to now uh, focus on for a bit is the big lie. Uh, so we saw, starting on Monday, four courageous law enforcement officers who withstood the crowds of people who uh, created an insurrection against our government. Uh, they wanted to stop the counting of the electoral votes so that they could declare Trump uh, the official winner. So that's a problem overall. As I said earlier, uh, if you continue to speak that big lie, Phil, uh, eventually you're going to alienate a lot of people who say, let's see, who should I believe, you or my lying eyes? Uh, that's a was that a Marx Brothers or an Abbott and Costello uh, bit? But certainly we could all see what was going on. And somebody like Mo Brooks who gets up there and says, "Oh, that was just a normal tourist day." Well, then here's my question, Mo: Why were you wearing armor underneath your clothing? Well, I mean that's one of the really biggest stories uh, of the year, and in fact, potentially in U.S. Uh, political history, is that how the um, you have McConnell and you have others coming out right after the events of January 6th and saying this is an attack on our democracy, et cetera, and Trump is you know should be held to account and so forth, and then literally within you know two weeks they're all changing their tune, uh, which suggests the extent to which they're really in the, the sort of the, the leadership and the dominant players in the Republican. Party are enthralled to uh, to Trump, um, but um, you know the con- the big concern I have about the so-called big lie is that um, what's happening here is that if you look at this ridiculous audit in Arizona and other places, is that the idea is to 
through these kinds of things, not just to sort of pursue the Trump angle, but to try to um, call into question the uh, elections in the United States, the procedures, the people behind it, and so forth. And so if they can do that, then they can do things like they're doing in various states where they're giving the state legislature the ability to step in and to change election outcomes. And so if you create this environment in which that seems like a legitimate thing to do and then it happens and you know and and the conservatives are much more open to this kind of authoritarian type thinking uh and so that's a really big concern for me i think is what's happening here and uh and, and a really you know a dangerous thing uh, as we go forward you know and the idea that this is a tourist visit i mean there were five people killed bob five people killed the guy uh, almost had his or had his eye gouged out somebody lost a you know somebody had a heart attack because of being tasered repeatedly and they had a they have a you know a, a hangman's noose uh, waiting for mike pence they're calling out pelosi to come out so they can kill her i mean this is really um, the extent to which this was a a, a direct assault on American democracy, not just on democracy itself, but on specific individuals in the government in an attempt to keep the government and attempt to keep the counting of the um, electoral votes from occurring, the certification of Biden's election. And the idea that any Republican could then say, oh, this is not a big deal, it's just, it's, it's just mind-blowing to me, um, and then to, to be able to stick with Trump uh, after this, it's... Um, it's crazy. Now, um, are there going to be some people at the margins, some of those moderate Republicans are turned off by this? Sure. And one of the key things, sort of going back to 2022, is that it doesn't take a whole lot of these uh, people to, um, to sort of shave off. And uh, Trump is, is really um, in trouble if he wants to run for reelection again. I also think it's a long time between now and 2024, Bob, and who knows what you know, where Trump's going to be, what his condition's going to be, how the Republican Party changes. Um, you know, and uh, if two years is a long time in politics, four years is, a, is forever. And uh, so, I, so I think it's, it's unclear how that's all going to pan out. But, um, the, you know, this, this attack on the Capitol is just, it's, it's unbelievable that um, you would have this attempted sort of whitewash of, of what was going on there. And uh, if we don't really get at this, um, with the select committee, and it's too bad that it came down to that. But if we can't get to you know the causes and what should be done about it, um, and particularly if we can't do it in a bipartisan basis, this is really scary. Which is one reason why I say that um, Republican, particularly cons- cultural conservative voters, um, tend to be uh, you know they they uh, tend to be uh, convinced <laughs> by. Um, you know, arguments that one would consider to be undermining democracy, um, right? When you praise Trump, I feel good, and stuff like that, irrespective of whether Trump has done anything good or bad or not. Um, this is kind of a dangerous way of thinking. And so I, um, so can, so are Republicans now, they're creating a situation where in 2024 they could actually undo election results and, um, you know, believe they could get away with it or even have enough um, voters or Republicans in their state or area to get away with it. And if that's something that is seriously being considered, that is really a big a, a danger to American democracy. And, and if that pans out in 2024... Boy, it's going to be things are going to get uh, get crazy, Bob. I don't know exactly how, but um, you know this this can't be tolerated, right? And um, you know 
so so who knows how that's going to going to play in, in you know 2024 but uh it's you know we'll certainly uh, find out um whether republicans stick with trump or not well i'm not even going to be thinking about 2024 i want to see what happens in 2022 mm-hmm. uh and uh, my wife meg and i were planning a trip to dc last year before covid hit and we're thinking we might go back this year at some point but i got to tell you if what happened on January 6th was just a normal tourist day, uh, I don't think I want to go on a normal tourist day. I'd rather go on an abnormal day when nothing big is going on. But here's right. a, another thing about these hearings. Uh, oh, before I do that, I just want to call out our member of Congress, Jared Huffman. Jared Huffman was about to get into an elevator with another House member who happened to be Republican. He was unmasked, and to Jared's knowledge, he was unvaccinated. And he called out this member of Congress and said, You know, you're being very selfish. And the guy said, Excuse me, it's none of your damn business. And Jared said, You don't give a spit for anyone else. You're so damn selfish. It's not you that I'm concerned about. It's everybody else you come in contact with. And then they started escalating and their voices got louder and louder. Well, I think it's about time that people got in the faces of these people who think that it's their right or their business. It's not. Everything that happens affects all of us. And now with this Delta uh, virus, which is more, serious than the other in the sense that it's more easily transmitted. But if you're vaccinated, it's less deadly. But the point is, we got to stop it. And what happened, of course, is that where it's going, growing faster than anywhere else is in the red states. And I'm not just trying to give blame to uh, Republicans, but certainly They are the largest group that is resisting either mask wearing or vaccination getting. And unless we protect more of our population, this may run for years. Well, it could. And um, we're looking at right now these huge outbreaks in uh, Missouri and Arkansas and now Louisiana uh, also. And so you are seeing it in states that are conservative and, um, you know, controlled by Republicans. And, you know, there, there are a few things that are crazy about this. One is that I'm going out now and I'm seeing uh, people, you know, I go to around town in Ukiah or in, in Lakeport and I see, you know, very few people anymore wearing masks and I'm thinking to myself, you know, all these people are uh, who are unvaccinated or, you know, transmitting this Delta variant to each other, variant to each other and maybe even, you know, even if someone who's vaccinated um, could potentially be shedding it if they got it, whatever, uh, which is would be very, very, very rare, but it could happen, right? And so, um, the other thing too is that um, this is really um, it's really ironic to me, right? These uh, the, the unvaccinated they um, say that you know this is about their individual freedom and rights and so forth and all that. But the irony is that by sticking to this position, uh, it's it's going to be longer and longer and longer and longer until all of us get our liberties and rights back so that we can move around uh, without concern about the virus and the people who are keeping that from happening are the people who refuse to to be vaccinated so by refusing to be vaccinated they're actually extending the you know the the condition in which they're 
uh, you know, find themselves unhappy. And um, so, so, so that, that really is uh, surprising to me. But you know, um, mind your mind your own business is not really a good response. But when you try, you said the voices got raised and so forth. One of the things that we see from psychologists or we hear is that you know this doesn't work. People just get defensive when you say you need to think about your community or something like that. That you have to try to identify with them first and so forth. And it's really difficult to do now. We know that the virus is safe, right? We know that we need to have um, a, a very high level of, of um, vaccinated to to get out of the cycle at some point, um, but yet we, we don't see uh, the recognition of those things, uh, at least not yet. Now, we do have the uh, governor of Alabama who came out and said, look, you know, y'all better get vaccinated. That's the only way this is going to stop. And I think if we have more Republicans coming out and doing that, that would be uh, very helpful <laughs> to, to try to move us toward uh, enough vaccination. Um, so the other thing, too, Bob, is that um, even the vaccinated, um, over time, there's a, a study from, uh, I guess, Israel and then another one in China that showed the same thing, that even after six, mo- after six months, there's, um, you know, the ability to, or the antibodies to fight off the virus have declined significantly, and so you really probably need a booster. And so what that means is that even if people, you know, who have it, uh, who've gotten who've gotten vaccinated? They're going to be less protected um, over time, which could mean that they could get a non-symptomatic, um, you know, uh, infected with with no, without symptoms, and then be spreading it around. So, um, you know, how do you appeal to these people? It's really it's really hard to do. And if they haven't gotten the message at this point, um, you know, maybe they're just they're just being. Um, <laughs> you know, they're just getting defensive about it and doubling down. Um, and so, until we have a lot of, I think, major Republicans um, coming out and saying this needs to happen, uh, even if that does happen, I don't know, but we're not going to see major, um, you know, increases in vaccinations. And so, places like Lake County, which has got the biggest uh, outbreak in California right now, 50% higher in terms of uh, positive um, tests than in, than in the closest um, county. So, you know, we, we still, you know, even though we have the vaccination and it's been months, we're, we're not anywhere near out of the woods yet. And, uh, you know, the major reason is because of the unvaccinated. And it's really unfortunate that they don't have more of a understanding and if, uh, or um, a, you know, perspective that indicates to them that they should do things not just for themselves but also for the community it's not only about their rights but the rights of all of us to be able to get back to normal and you know that message needs to be sent how effective it's going to be you know it can't it's not going to be super effective so who knows what the long-term solution is well mendocino county has also raised the level um so that so that um, they are going to be requiring masks indoors again. Uh, so it's not just Lake County. Of course, we're next door, and that uh, that could easily transmit back and forth. But here's the point that I really wanted to make. You mentioned before what psychologists say, that we should not get in people's faces because that just escalates the situation and the other people get defensive. That's in a normal situation. But we've all been shut in and deprived of some of our uh, nice things in life that we were used to before. So we're all tense to some degree. I don't know that it's that simple to follow the advice of a 
a psychologist and just be nice to the person that is acting badly. I don't think what Jared did uh, is out of line because these people are so, um, no, I, I won't be denigrating, but they are creating the problem. And in fact, uh, to get back to the big lie, I wanted to mention this before. Uh, in the 30s, uh, Goebbels was the propaganda minister for Hitler. And he said many times that telling a lie over and over and over again eventually makes it seem true. And the bigger the lie, the easier it is to absorb. Uh, do you see any parallel here today? Well, I mean, this has been a very common strategy um, in politics for a while. Conservatives are quite good at it, and they have these, um, you know, very, very um, sympathetic media outlets uh, in order to do this. And, you know, the idea is to repeat something over and over and over again until um, people just begin to accept it. Um, and so it's, it's been uh, very common. And, uh, you know, maybe the big lie is, a, is the better lie. Um, that's really the only lie they've got at this point. Um, so, you know, sure, there's, um, this, this is going to benefit them. Uh, is it going to convince, you know, repeating this over and over again, is it, is it going to, um, you know, convince enough people? Um, maybe not. Um, but, you know, the, in terms of the, this, the big lie, a couple of things. One about uh, Jim Jordan and this uh, select committee and him being, you know, pushed out of it. But, you know, Matt Kinzinger, who's one of the Republicans who's on the select committee, um, he had an article in the New York Times I thought was really good, and he raised a number of questions. And the biggest one, you know, how did it happen, why did it happen? And who, who, who's behind it? What have you? Did anybody know about it before? You know, anybody in the government know about it before it happened? I think the biggest question here is that was there coordination between rioters and members of Congress? And I think that one of the things that you're going to see come out is there has, that Jim Jordan, in particular, but also some of these newly elected people like uh, Lauren Boebert from Colorado. They did provide some scouting tours for people uh, of the Capitol. Uh, Jim Jordan was on the phone with Donald Trump on January 6th. And so, of course, the idea of having him on the, on the panel is ridiculous. But, uh, but in fact, we know that Jim Jordan uh, has um, his, his actions uh, sort of um, really pushed ahead this uh, or, or might have been responsible for, partly responsible for, you know, the riot at the Capitol. And so uh, we have to really get to the bottom of that. And Liz Cheney, who's also on the Select Committee, Republican, she might be right that he could be a material witness. What exactly did he know, and when did he know it? As the famous fra phrase goes, um, and I think there's a lot, to, a lot of there, there, and we're going to have to uncover that. And I think we're going to see it's, you know, um, there's potentially treasonous uh, activity here among members of Congress themselves, and th these reds raises huge questions about what the Im impact of that would be and how much proof you need and, and all that, but we're going to see that come out, and uh, it's going to get ugly for Jim Jordan, I think, uh, which will be interesting. But that's the big question to me, Bob. It, were there members of Congress who were involved in fomenting this riot and facilitating it? And if that were the case, then we've got a big, big, big story on our hands here, B bigger than the big lie, if that's possible. It's a big, big lie at that point. I'm going to come back to that in just a second, but first I want to reintroduce you. You are listening to Politics, a Love Story. Uh, our guest today is Phil Worf, political science professor at Mendocino College, and I am your host, Bob Bushansky. 
So yes, this is one of the things uh, that I had written down here. Uh, We will find by the time the hearings are over that the elected members of Congress and or their staff assisted the mob before January 6th. If so, what could be done about them? Why do you think the Republicans tried so hard to shoot down any kind of investigative committee? It's probably because some of their members are guilty, and it's not treason because treason is only against uh, the uh, the government in a time of war. We weren't in war. This is seditious behavior. Uh, it, this was an insurrection that was attempted and failed. But certainly it's bad. But what could you do to members of Congress if they are found guilty of any of these things we just talked about? Well, I don't know the answer to that uh, 100%, but, I mean, you could certainly bounce them from Congress. I mean, that's something that the members of Congress certainly could do if they have the votes, and which raises all these other concerns or issues. Um, but they could do that. Certainly they could be brought up on criminal charges. I don't think they have any sort of, um, you know, any privilege uh, like the executive um, would have. And so... Uh, that could also uh, happen. They could be called before the select committee, and um, if they don't, uh, you know, come or don't provide information, they could be subject to some legal implications there, probably minimal. Uh, but I think the big one would be um, kicking them out of Congress. That would be a start. Uh, and then w- what? What do we know about the specifics? And maybe there could be, maybe there'd be criminal charges uh, as a result of that. So there are a couple of you know important things that could be done. Um, and I think, you know, one of them, of course, is political, which, which uh, would be more difficult, actually, than if there were some law-breaking and, and to submit that to the Justice Department for review. Uh, and also, actually, um, this raises a question about the Justice Department itself. We know that um, Trump tried to put pressure on the Justice Department to call into question the results of the election. Um, you know, Bill Barr, who was, you know, very, you know, rabid supporter of Trump's uh, policies in other ways, um, said, <laughs> you know, no, the Justice Department's not going to do that. He actually stepped down, uh, and then uh, Trump still tried to convince the deputies over there um, to just, uh, <laughs> at the end, he's just like, just say that something was corrupt, something was wrong, even if there's nothing specific, and I'll make the rest happen, right? Hmm. And so here we have a president actually going to the Justice Department and the Attorney General, who works for all Americans, not for the president, and trying to get them to subvert the election results. Uh, so there's there's a there's a lot there's a lot here to unpack, and I think that would be we sh- it should have been a an independent commission like the 9/11 Commission that could really get to the bottom of this would not be political. Um, but I think you're right. What we're seeing here is the Republicans don't want this, a lot of this stuff to come out uh, publicly, and um, even even the leadership who were initially uh, unhappy with, uh, you know, denounced the riot, but now they've, you know, come full circle to support it as this sort of, uh, you know, day at the park. And uh, all all these things, um, you know, weigh uh, heavily in terms of whether there's going to be any accountability for this or not. And uh, I'm hoping there will be, and I think if there's enough evidence, the public won't permit there not to be some uh, action, and that could be very consequential for 2022. Um, so we'll have to see what the committee digs up. The testimony of those officers was very powerful, and I'm, I'm imagining, and this is, you know, they also were the ones who got this documentation from the Justice Department that, that I was just talking about. Um, so there's liable to be a lot of stuff uncovered, and things will get pretty interesting uh, as, as it goes along, and we'll see what, uh, if 
there is any of that information about specific members who, you know, who, who could be relieved of their duties. Uh, Merrick Garland, for a while, seemed to be protecting some of the previous guy's uh, staff. Uh, but now he's uh, changing his tune a little bit. Uh, Mo Brooks said that what he was doing out there was within the guidelines of his job as member of Congress. And now the, the, the Department of Justice had, had made a ruling that he was politicking. So that is outside the duties of his job. So anything he did to speak at that uh, January 6th incitement meeting, uh, he is unprotected by the government, and he could be sued. And, of course, it was uh, Swalwell who uh, had a suit uh, against him. Uh, and it is uh, able to go forward because he's unprotected uh, in what he was doing. Uh, but that also brings me to the next thing. So do you think the previous guy is going to be indicted or his children be indicted? Do you think that's a possibility? Well, I haven't followed uh, a lot of this is what's happening uh, in terms of his uh, finances in New York. Um, there certainly could be some legal uh, problems there, already have been for some of his associates. Um, will there be any sort of, um, you know, any uh, real legal act action against Trump based on what occurred January 6th or any of the, you know, um, potential corrupt behavior during his uh, presidency? I, I just don't know the answer to that. Um, I would imagine there are enough things um, something rises to that level, but um, you know, given the fact that he's a former president and all those things, it's 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 going to have to be really, really overwhelming for for that to happen. And um, but I don't know. I mean, you have a different uh, team, of course. You're talking about Garland, and one of the things that uh, Biden has said to his uh, people in the executive branch and people who were there during this and who know what happened, you know, career people that. You know, I'm not claiming executive privilege. You can say whatever you want to the Congressional Committee. There's nothing we're hiding here. And that's a big deal because, um, you know, not just for this, but also potentially for the future. And But I think a good move by Biden, who, to me, uh, someone who wasn't super hot on Biden, um, you know, as a candidate, I, I think he's done, um, you know, as, as good a job as could be expected, I think, as, as president. And this is, you know, this is part of that. I think it's really, really smart and um, may open may open some more cans of worms, uh, you know, which we wouldn't otherwise see uh, from the executive branch uh, personnel. One of the uh, my biggest complaints against Obama was that he failed to pursue any uh, criminal action against uh, any of Bush's people. And there were numerous instances that could have been pursued. And maybe there's not a direct connection, but I think by allowing people who did bad things to get away with it and not be punished in any way led Trump to believe that, well, hey, I can do whatever the hell I want. First of all, I'm president. Second, nothing was done in the past, so I could go and do whatever I want. Uh, and I think that that's a bad precedent to set going forward. It is. It's a bad precedent because people, when when they do things that are that um, rise to the level of some of the um, wrongdoing by Trump, there should be some uh, consequence for that. And um, you know, if not, it sort of sends a signal, as you say, that um, you can sort of um, do whatever you want. You know, this is a 
It's a tough call in that um, there's always this belief, and I think Obama had it, that, you know, the most important thing was to work on his agenda, and this would sort of alienate all the Republicans and so forth. And I think that also is sort of infused into the thinking of Biden's uh, team and some uh, particularly um, people in the Senate. Um, but I think it, but if you look at the, the last stimulus packages, both Obama's and uh, uh, the one under Biden, the Republicans all voted against it. And so, um, you know, are, are you buying anything by sort of giving these guys a free pass and the, with the idea that this will allow you to, you know, uh, work together and, and get some things accomplished in Congress? And um, to a great extent, it, it's, it's wrongheaded. Uh, because there's just not much you can do to get the Republicans to play ball in a, in my opinion, in a responsible way. I mean, they're going to uh, this infrastructure bill if they get what they want. It's a it's a trillion bucks. Um, I think even at that point, they're going to still uh, vote against it. They're going to get what they want in the bill. They're going to get the bill, the size of the bill they want, and they're still going to vote against it and say, look at all this big spending by the Democrats. And then they're going to go back to their districts, and they're going to take credit for the um, new road building, and they're going to give around these big giant checks and so forth. It's exactly what they did in 2009. And for the Democrats to think that somehow this is not going to happen, or alternatively that the mansion cinema strategy of trying to sweet talk the republicans into something um these things just don't work and um you know if at some point you just got to pursue your agenda um and but the problem the democrats have of course is coming back to this filibuster issue and the fact that you got these two senators who are not willing to to um you know to to um vote in a way that would move things forward and so the Democrats are, you know, all, seems, seem like they're in the position where they typically are, which is stuck and not able to pursue their uh, the agenda they want to pursue. And, um, you know, to it's all at this point, if, um, you know, if, if Trump is able to hold together his coalition and support from the Republicans in Congress and, and in office, um, you know, he will be certainly a challenge and a threat in 2022 and, and 2024. Uh, and maybe if some of these guys were held accountable, um, you might have a few, you might have more people thinking more carefully about whether they want to throw in their uh, hand with, with Trump on these things. And personally, I think that would be, it's important to do because it's wrongheaded to assume that if you don't do it somehow, something positive is going to come out of it. The evidence is suggests that's not the case. So these two uh, infrastructure bills are pretty important, but even more important is H.R. 1 and H.R. 5, the Voting Rights Bill and the John Lewis Act, which would change things across the country. What many people do not know is that in the Constitution, the federal government, the Congress, has a lot more power to dictate terms of setting up elections for federal office. Many states think that just because they could redistrict, that they could set the terms. Well, Congress has been pretty lax in asserting their power that is uh, given to them in the Constitution. So uh, it is, to me, even more important to get those voting right bills uh, passed. Uh, yes, the infrastructure bills are important. If Biden wants to get reelected, he's going to have to show that he's been able to do something. But if we came very close to losing our democratic republic on January 6th, 
Uh, which brings me to probably our last question. We're getting close to the end. Do you think there will be another attempt at an insurrection? Well, um, that's a big question. Um, I think that if um, Republicans are um, stymied in 2024 and they don't get the result that they'd like to see, particularly if Trump is their guy, um, we're liable to see uh, more of that, and it's, um, it, it could potentially turn more violent. And uh, I think, you know, it's, it's this sort of, uh, it's a very hardcore sort of Trump-supporting group, and uh, he can, I think he can manipulate them into doing a lot of what he wants. And if uh, some, of, some of what he wants is to uh, undermine whatever that outcome might be or, or um, you know, engage in, uh, have his supporters try to stop the counting of the vote or, you know, attack Congress or do whatever, um, you know, they're going to be willing to do that. And so, and, and the idea that somehow Trump could be um, influenced to act responsibly is just a, a silly notion. Um, and will, will it happen again? It's certainly possible. It's certainly possible. And I think that um, this is, again, one reason that this uh, committee is so important is because people need to know what happened. People need to be held accountable. And if that does happen, it will be less likely to occur in the future. The other thing, too, Bob, is, is that, um, you know, some of these, uh, there are few, some slaps on the wrist, right, for people that have been identified as being there. Uh, but there also could be some significant charges for, for some people. And um, if we see a lot of that, um, you know, that, that could throw some cold water on those people who are sort of marginally interested in uh, in a capital riot, if you, if you know what I mean. So, um, well, so, Phil, um, I I well, think that you're looking too far in the future when you're talking okay. as you have about 2024. If anything's going to happen, it's going to happen after 2022. Because if the Democrats make big gains, that's when there's going to be an attempted another attempted insurrection, uh, because they're still. Uh, soar from this last one. 2024 is too far in the future. Who knows what may happen? Yes, there may be lots of people indicted or even convicted and put in jail. That's going to take a lot of steam out of that movement. Uh, but that may not happen right away because, as you know, first you've got to get the indictment, then you've got to set a trial date, then you've got to do the trial. So until all, until all those things happen, it's going to be after the 2022 election. So that's going to be the key point. We got a uh, key on that rather than 2024 when it all may be predecided because of the good things that happen, not the bad things. Well, I, mean, I, I, uh, I think that with, if Trump is on the ballot, that's really when you have the big potential for action. I mean, in 2022, you're going to have a lot of um, you're going to have voting in, you know, 500. 35 congressional districts or 32 congressional districts around the country, right? Um, and um, 535 or 435. Yes. Um, and you're going to have those all around all around the country, um, and there's not going to be sort of this this one election or this one thing that's going to be the focus of all uh, of these potential rioters. And so that's going to diffuse this uh, quite a bit. But I think if you uh, so without having Trump on the ballot, it's going to make it less likely there'll be some sort of national uprising. And so that's why I'm looking to 2024 is really the, the big concern about this, because I think that the impact of 2022 won't be felt as, um, you know, it'll, it'll be more diffused and won't be felt as, uh, you know, the impact won't be as huge for those uh, supporters of Trump as, you know, his loss in, in 20, uh, 2020. So, so Phil, think, can, you know, can Trump run for president from jail? 
<laughs> I, I don't know. I suppose he could. Um, but uh, I, I think uh, I think the idea that Trump is going to be in jail or that any of his family members are going to be in jail, um, uh, if you're waiting for that, Bob, you, I think you're going to be waiting a long time. But, but I don't know. You could be right. Well, we'll see. But uh, we're coming to the end of our time, Phil. I want to thank you very much. You've been listening to Politics, A Love Story. Our guest today has been Phil Worf political science professor at Mendocino College, and I am your host, Bob Bushansky. Thanks very much, Phil. Thanks, Bob. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can go to kzyx.org to find more shows and content like this one. While there, you can stream us live or check out our jukebox. And if you like what you hear, consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. We are Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, listener-supported community radio. KZYX, Philo, 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Woolets and Ukiah, 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Thanks for listening. Tomorrow.